Okay, how y'all doing? I'm doing well, thank you, thank you. <laughs> okay, well, thanks Weston. <clears throat> good, good, good. If you guys could kill the, the last row of lights there, if you remember which one is the closest one to you. Thanks. Great. Identity theft. How many of you Facebookers have had somebody copy your account and send out friend requests? Wow, really? Maybe we don't have very many Facebookers, I don't know. Wow, it's, uh, it's everywhere. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're nervous these days about people scamming our, our debit card and our credit card and all of that jazz. Um, and, uh, you know, there's actually, uh, in 2020, the, the identity theft reached an all-time financial high in, uh, in cost to the economy. In the United States, uh, identity theft and scams cost $56 billion in the United States in one year. Um, and in that same year in Canada, it's about the, you know, it's about the same as far as, uh, you know, our, uh, our, yeah. So it was, uh, it was $530 million it cost the Canadian economy in, uh, in 2020. Every, every city has an identity theft task force on their police department because this is a big deal. It's a big deal all around us. Um, you know, you don't want to click on the wrong email. You don't want to open the wrong attachment. Um, you don't want to stick your debit or credit card in the wrong machine because scammers can, can jig those things and, and duplicate your, your card. Um, you know, we're, we're always on the lookout. It seems like this is a big deal today. So I know people who, don't, who won't bank online, who won't do a lot of stuff online because they're concerned about identity theft. People stealing their identity. And uh, uh, I, know, I know, you know, there's stories of, of uh, people, people applying for, for things with the government, with someone else's social insurance number, and, you know, that, then this person gets a, gets a call and they're like, what do you mean I never did that? Can you imagine somebody, somebody in your name scamming thousands and thousands of dollars from the government and, uh, and then being, you know, scared if you're going to jail for it, right? Identity theft is a big deal. It's a big deal economically. It's a big deal in the, in the natural world, but it's also a huge deal in the spiritual world. Everything flows out of our identity. Everything flows out of our identity. Adam and Eve 
In the very beginning, they bought into a lie that was sold to them by the, the scammer. Right? Satan scammed them, sold them on a lie, and they ended up changing their allegiance, and they lost their place in the father's house. They lost their identity as a son and a daughter of the king because they got scammed, and their identity was stolen. Humanity has been living Apart from Christ, humanity has been living separated from God ever since. Jesus did not come to this earth just so we could be forgiven and go to heaven someday. But his death on the cross and his resurrection happened so that we could have our identity restored. And we could be reconciled to the Father. And we could be welcomed into his family once again as sons and daughters of the Most High. Abba, Father, is our identity through Jesus Christ. Those who have, who have confessed Christ as Lord, who have been born again, who have been sealed by the Spirit of God, are now, the Bible says, in Christ. We are in Christ. And if we are in Christ, then we are co-heirs with him. Our identity is is locked to his identity. Isn't that amazing? We are co-heirs with Christ. And we are sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father. Being co-heirs means Everything that belongs to Christ now belongs to us too. That is our identity. We are seated with him. We share his glory. We share his ministry. We share his authority. And we rule and reign with him. And that, folks is bigger than anything else that you think defines you. You might be a teacher or administrator or a business person or a custodian or a retail worker or a union member or a father or a mother, a grandparent. You may belong to the Chamber of Commerce or the Optimist Club. You might be a biker or a jogger, or a horse owner, but none of these things define your identity like the truth that you are a child of God. And the moment that we let any other part of our lives become more important than that, we begin to lose the battle. Satan is the identity thief. Because he knows that our authority comes from our identity. And if he can rob, if he can rob an entire generation of their identity, then he can destroy any hope of spiritual authority that they might have. This generation seems to be obsessed with identity, but they've attached their identity to lesser things than God ever intended. 
things such as political opinions or sexuality have been elevated to the level of core identity and it's created so much confusion around identity in this world right now. The enemy has pulled a dirty trick to get people to believe that a feeling equals identity. A feeling equals identity. If I feel strongly about a political ideology or agenda, then my identity must be conservative or liberal or Democrat or Republican. If a person feels same-sex attraction, then their identity must be gay. If a person feels confused about fitting into gender stereotypes, then their identity must be transgender. And it's a lie that these things are the sum of a person's identity. But if we can be deceived into believing this, then we become closed to the things that God says about our identity. Satan attacked Jesus at the beginning of his ministry and life, at the beginning of his ministry, at the end of his ministry and of his life, and all the way in between. Satan attacked Jesus' identity. Firstly, this morning, Jesus Jesus calling and his anointing. I want us we're going to start at the end. It's a great place to start. We're going to start at the end and then work our way back. Jesus calling his anointing which were tied to his identity in his earthly ministry were that Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of the roles of prophet, king, and priest. These were very significant to Jesus, his anointing, his calling. Each one of these, each one of these titles, each one of these positions, historically, long before Christ, were people who had been anointed to do their job. And Jesus summed up all of these roles in his anointing as prophet, priest, and king. All of these. He is the ultimate anointed one. In Deuteronomy 18 verse 15, Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among you from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. This was a messianic prophecy, prediction of the Messiah that was to come. He would be a prophet like Moses. And as Matthew in his gospel describes Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, going up a mountain... Sound familiar? Right? Moses went up a mountain. 
received the law, brought it to the people. Jesus goes up a mount and declares the new law of the new covenant for the new society of his kingdom. And as Matthew describes this in his gospel, he is declaring that Jesus is the prophet like Moses. So much more than a prophet and so much more than Moses. But he is the anointed ultimate prophet. In 1 Corinthians 17, 1 Corinthians, sorry, 1 Chronicles, stay in the right testament. 1 Chronicles 17, verses 11 to 14, God says through Nathan the prophet to David, he says this, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessor. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. How long? Forever. Right? So this was, this. I mean, yes, it was talking sort of about Solomon who will build the temple, but ultimately this was a prophecy about Jesus, the one who would be a king like David, who would rule forever. Thirdly, in Psalm 110, verse 4, it's predicted that the Messiah would be a priest. David is, is, is writing this, as a prophecy about the Messiah, he says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. We don't have time to get into who Melchizedek is if you don't know who that is today. Um, but Mel Except to say that Melchizedek was a king and a priest. One of the Aaronic priests, the ones that the Jewish priests that followed Aaron, sons of Aaron, they could not be kings. But Melchizedek was a king and a priest. And Jesus is a king and a priest. Right? So he so um, then in, then that that prophecy is reinforced in Zechariah six. Verses 12 to 13 says, Tell him, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch. And he will branch out from this place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord and he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne and he will be a priest on his throne, and there will be harmony between the two. Why do I tell you all this? Well, 
if you have Bibles or Bible apps, let's look at Mark 14 and 15. Mark chapter 14 and 15. As Mark's gospel takes us through the account of Jesus' interrogation before the religious ruling council and then before the Roman governor, Pilate, and takes us through Jesus' crucifixion. So as Mark's gospel walks us through this story, it shows that Jesus was mocked for his role as prophet, as priest, and as king. This was not just some coincidence, but this was Satan still at work trying to get Jesus to despair of his identity, his calling, and his role so that he would give up. So he would give up. Because Satan knows what we often forget. Our authority flows from our identity. So Mark 14, verses 61 to 65, says this. Again, the high priest asked him, Jesus, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One, the Son of God? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. Luke's gospel, or Matthew's gospel, sorry, in Matthew 26, says, they, they said, prophesy who hit you. What a mockery of the prophet. A disgraceful mockery of his identity, of who he came to be. Spitting on him, slapping him, punching him. Prophesy, who hit you? Jesus is mocked in his prophetic role. And then he's mocked in his kingly role in chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 16. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace. That is the praetorium, the, the part of the palace where the guards hung out. And called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his, on his head, set it on him. Began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they 
paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put on his own clothes and they led him out to crucify him. The king of the universe, the king of all kings, the majesty of heaven being mocked and jeered in his identity as king. And then in chapter 15, verses, verse 29, those who pass by, Jesus is now on the cross at this time. Jesus is now the sacrifice. His blood being poured out for the forgiveness of the sins of humanity. He is, he, he is doing what will, what will cause him to be our high priest. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests. Notice who is mocking him. The chief priests and teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he cannot save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. The chief priests are mocking the eternal high priest. Mocking his ability to save. Mocking his ability to be the one who would reconcile man to God, humanity to God. See, the enemy made every effort, even at this late stage of Jesus' life and ministry, the enemy made every effort to rob Jesus of his identity. And he did it all through his ministry. In Luke Luke 3, verse 21 and 22. Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too, it says. And, he was pray and as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. It was an important custom in Jewish culture that at key points in a person's life, their father would speak blessing over their lives. At their birth, at their bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, their coming of age ceremony. And when they fully came of age, uh, well, at, sorry, at their wedding as well. And then when they, 
they came into full adulthood as a as a as a a young man especially was taking taking on his his role as uh as as father in his own right and leader of his own family and uh and taking his career at the age of 30 a jewish man was considered fully adult and their father would speak blessing over them and as jesus launched into his ministry his father spoke from heaven words of affirmation and love and blessing over his life and these words were the identity that jesus lived and ministered from Jesus didn't need to earn his father's approval and love. He lived and ministered from it. He knew his father's approval and love. Many of us spend much of our lives living out of a need to know that our earthly father, mother approves of us, loves us. We often don't get those words of blessing and affirmation that were common to Jewish households. And we often spend our lives trying to fill an empty place in our soul with those words. You need to hear today. What did we say? That we are joint heirs with Christ, that everything that is His is ours. That when the Father spoke over His Son, He spoke over you. This is my Son, my daughter, whom I love with you I am well pleased. Jesus hadn't done a single miracle. He hadn't preached a single message. He hadn't done anything to earn his father's love and approval. He just had it. And out of that, he ministered everything that he did. Every life touched, every blind person healed, every leper cleansed, every lame person given a new lease on life was because Jesus was led by the Father who said, this one, son, this one, this one. Jesus was not driven by the crowds, the approval, the need for the approval of the crowds that followed him. He was not driven by the expectations of his disciples. He was not even moved to react to the attacks of the enemy. We often live our lives in constant reaction to what the enemy's up to. 
that Jesus was never led by what the enemy was doing. But he was led by the voice of the Father who would say, this one, son, touch this one. So a few verses later, in chapter 4, Jesus leaves the waters of baptism and he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested and tempted by the devil, it says. Doesn't that seem strange? He was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted and tested by the devil. Listen, God has a plan and a purpose to strengthen and equip you for life, for battle, for everything that you will face. He wants to train you. He wants you to be as strong and effective as you can possibly be. He wants you to walk in authority and power to see the world around you changed and the enemy defeated. And he will use whatever he needs to use in order to strengthen and change you, uh, train you. And yes, he will even use the devil. When God brings you into new spiritual territory, when he gives you a new revelation of himself, when he gives you a new revelation of who you are in him, that revelation will be tested because God doesn't just want you to know it in your head. He doesn't just want you to gain information about who he is and who you are. But he wants you to know in real life what that truth is and, how, and that it works. And so your knowledge will be tested. And when you are tested, the enemy wants you to throw the knowledge out at the first sign of trouble, saying, well, it must not be true. It must not work because I'm having a rough day. Right? He, he wants you to throw out the revelation because you've hit an obstacle. But God wants that obstacle to be the very thing to cause you to activate the revelation into a reality in your life. God wants you God wants that obstacle to be the very thing that causes you to activate that truth and that revelation as reality in your life. And once you have done that, you have now, you have now gone from testing ground to proven ground. And when you step onto proven ground, it doesn't need to be tested. The next time you face that obstacle, you know who God is in that situation. Yeah. 
Satan, as Jesus is led into the, into the wilderness to be tested and tempted by the devil, Satan went after the truth that had just been revealed to Jesus in a supernatural way from heaven. That he is the son of God, that God loves him, and that he's pleased with him. And so the first thing that Satan says to him, oh, thought I had it up there. Okay. All right. The first thing that Jesus, that Satan says to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, if that's really true, come on. If that's really true, if you are the Son of God, turn that stone into bread. Jesus, I mean, he at, at every stage, this the enemy even quotes scripture at Jesus, twists scripture to test him. But Jesus quotes scripture right back. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father, mouth of God. And then the second, second time, the enemy comes to Jesus. He says, all the kingdoms, he shows them all the kingdoms of the world. All these kingdoms have been given to me. And I'll give them to you if you just bow down. Just once. Just bow down and worship me. And then again in verse 9 of, of, uh, of Luke 4. If you are the Son of God, it takes him up to the top of the the temple, if you are the Son of God, and he quotes scripture again at him from Psalm 91, the angels will catch you. They'll, they'll catch you and not let you dash your foot on the ground. Just throw your, if you are the Son of God, come on, give us a little miracle, Jesus. And each time Jesus Jesus puts the enemy in his place with the word of God. Folks, we need to be people who know the truth. Because the enemy will quote scripture at you. He'll remind you of scriptures. He'll even use that. But we need to, know, we need to be people who know the truth. And especially the truth about who our God is and who we are. And that was not the end of the testing. In verse 13 of, of Luke 4, it says, When the devil finished all of this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. And all through Jesus' ministry and life, uh, the enemy would come at him questioning, to get him to question his authority. 
he, uh, they said uh, he used religious leaders that would come at him and, and say that he was uh, demon-possessed, say that he was doing the miracles he was doing by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of demons, right? They said that he was an illegitimate child and a drunkard and a sinner, and they just they were constantly throwing accusation at Jesus. They're not just slanderous statements, they're attacks on his identity. If you have repented of your sin and surrendered your life to Jesus, you don't just have a ticket to the heaven train, folks. You have a new identity. And that identity comes with authority. Because until your train leaves, you have a job here in this life to bring the kingdom of heaven wherever you go. To bring the light and the hope and the peace of God's presence because you are a child, a son, a daughter of the Most High. And you carry heaven's atmosphere wherever you go. Oh, not yet. We'll get to that. You also, you also have an enemy, folks, who is an identity thief. He wants you to quit. Right now, today, he wants you to quit. He wants you to pack it in. It's not worth it. It's too costly. It's too hard. He wants you to quit. He wants you to doubt every word God has ever spoken to you. He wants you to believe that God does not love you and does not have a plan and purpose for you. He wants you to think of yourself as a victim, not as more than a conqueror. He wants you to pray, why me, instead of what's next. Your freedom has been purchased. Let's stand, folks. Your freedom has been purchased by the blood of Jesus. You are now in Christ. You are a co-heir with Christ. You are a child of God. You are loved. You are chosen. You are appointed. You are sent with a mission. You are already victorious. The answer is yes, so go in his authority. Amen?
Amen. I want to I want to pray with you this morning. We're going to we're going to we're going to respond. There's we have a, a song of response that declares this truth and music that we're going to sing together. Um, just before before uh, before I pray, just a couple of things I forgot to mention earlier. Um, I'm going to be away the next two Sundays. Just uh, we've got some we've got some guest speakers coming the next two Sundays. Uh, Pam and I are going on a trip out of the country. Um, our 30th anniversary is coming up, so we're we're running away. Thank you. So we're uh, yeah we're going on a trip, but uh, so I'm going to be gone for a couple weeks. We fly out uh, Saturday, but uh, yeah you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna have a great time with the guests that are coming the next two weeks. Uh, and Haley has starts today. It's her first day as uh, part of our staff team, one of our students we've hired for the summer. So uh, so yay, welcome Haley. We are gonna we are gonna put her to work. <laughs> Amen. All right. Well, folks, let's uh, let's let's. I'm gonna say this again. Your freedom. The this what's on the screen in, in behind me. Your screen. Your your screen. Your freedom has been purchased by the blood of Jesus. You are now in Christ. You are a co-heir with Christ. You are a child of God. You are loved. You are chosen. You are appointed. You are sent with a mission. You are already victorious. The answer is yes. Go. Amen. Father, thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you for all that you have done for us. Thank you that we this morning are in Christ. Thank you for all that that means. Thank you that we have been adopted as sons and daughters of the King. That we don't need to earn your love. We don't need to earn your approval, your acceptance. We are loved. We are yours. Remind us daily whose we are and who we are. May we learn that God, when obstacles come our way, we are being trained. May we learn not to not to quit, not to listen to the lies of the enemy that would say you're not enough, you can't do it. God has left you behind. You might as well quit. But may we know the truth and walk in the truth and remind ourselves of the truth that we are yours. And as sons and daughters of the King, 
you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. You are with us. You have called us. You have chosen us. And you have sent us in your authority. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, he died for 
Amen. We're children of the Most High God. Thank you, Pastor, for that wonderful message this morning. And thank you for coming out to Evangel. And we all believe today that we do serve a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. If you come to the house of God today with a need in your life, we would encourage you to come at this time. And the Breakthrough Prayer uh, team will pray for you. Amen. We also want to remind you about the meal following the service. You're all, in way, all invited. God bless you. Thank you for coming.